Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 76. Psalm 76. You know, historical context in the book of Psalms is challenging. Our psalm today appears to, to, to capture a song of victorious defense. As we all know, a good, a good defense is a good offense. That's what we see in our passage. Assaulted by men of war, God faithfully protects his people. And as much as we here in this church affirm the sovereignty of God, yes and amen, there are times we forget. There are times we fear. And in a world today dominated by fear, what we need to hear is something very simple. God protects his people. God protects his people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there are many things in this world today that ruffle our feathers, things that keep us up at night. What we desperately need today is to hear a word from our God and Father. Would you make this word effectual in our lives? Would you be with me as I preach and us as we hear that these truths may be a shield and strong tower to us. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We'll start in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem. His dwelling place in Zion there he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Glorious are you, more majestic than mountains full of prey. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. All the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both horse or both rider and horse lay stunned. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is aroused? From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble of the earth. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared, who cuts off the spirit of princes, who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. Thus ends the reading of God's word this morning. <coughs> you know, fear is often used as a tool to drain us of power. In ancient days, they used to catapult slain victims into walled cities to reduce morale, to instill fear, to drain power. In the Battle of Vicksburg, or we may say the Siege of Vicksburg, they continued a relentless pummeling of Vicksburg for the sole reason of inciting fear, of reducing morale, of draining power. Today we see this in the language of oppression. 
Today, it is not a question of if oppression exists in this world. Today, they want us to ask the question of how we are being oppressed. And what this has done is created a culture of perpetual victims, a culture of cynics, a culture of people who live in fear and have been drained of their power. Fear is an exhausting thing. We see it today. The enemy catapults fear into our living rooms. News publishes fear that we may run to advertisements, robbing us of our spending power. Social media flings the fear of being canceled into our phones, robbing us of our speaking power. Even the rising fear of COVID has robbed us of our power to live. Let's face it, the threat is real. We may be armed with word and spirit, but there's many mornings we wake up and we feel powerless. We're scared. We approach today not from the standpoint of victory, but from the expectation of defeat. What we need to hear today, more than any other message, is very simple. God protects his people. God protects his people. And let's just take up two things. The threat is real and the defense is sure. The threat is real and the defense is sure. Let's just let's, let's pick up that simple statement. The threat is real. Now, some of us here might beat our chest and say, well, I'm not scared. Well, let's talk about your children and your grandchildren. Boy, I've seen some strong grandmas get weak at the knees when grandbabies affect them. I've seen men who cling to their rifles and their guns until something happens to baby girls, and all of a sudden that tough guy seems to melt away, doesn't he? Where none of us are near as brave as we think we are. In this psalm, we see men are trying to scale God's holy mountain to topple his worship. We may not be engaged in armed conflict, but we are engaged in conflict nonetheless. The battles of today are not fought with swords and spears and guns and grenades. They're fought with ideas and tweets and blurbs and talking heads. They're fought with ideas. It's a battle, and there are real casualties in this battle. Lives will be forever changed. And this is how it's been from the beginning. From the very beginning, God has had enemies. From the tree of life in the middle of the garden to that tree of death on Calvary's hill... There has been a conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The depths of hell itself have sought to scale Mount Zion and not God off his throne. We may wring our hands today over things like Christian bakers and website makers. But these are just small skirmishes in a greater battle. These are symptoms of a greater disease. A great threat looms large, longing to topple God's people. We see first that there are wicked institutions 
warring against God. We should not be surprised when we see the world mobilized in mass against God. G.K. Chesterton once said, Abolish God and the government becomes God. The government is the only entity big enough to fill the void left by God's absence. And when it fills that void, it becomes allied against God. It was in godless Egypt that Pharaoh mobilized a government against God's people. And in the time of Judges, countless wicked rulers assaulted God's people. In the time of the New Testament, it was the Sanhedrin that spread misinformation about the resurrection. The ruling bodies of the Jews that sought to silence the apostles. Don't we see this trend? We've got Christian book companies, Christian news outlets. We even got things like Christian Mingle because the world wants to kick God out. We've created entire Christian subculture because the world does not want God in them. Wicked institutions have kicked God out. The threat is very real. But behind these wicked institutions, there is a wicked instigator. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, the prince of this world, longs to keep us from enjoying the next. From the very beginning, Satan sought to topple God by hook or by crook. And when Satan failed, he took his next best stab at us. We see in the book of Job, it is Satan that arms the Chaldeans to attack Job. In the New Testament, we see it's Satan that enters the heart of Judas. In the book of Revelation, it's the great red dragon, the beast, and the false prophets. That anti-satanic trinity that was pulling all the levers of society. Throughout church history, we see Satan using false teaching to divide and conquer, false religions to persecute and destroy, and godless governments to murder and to silence. Even look at our own lives. When you're sick, when you're tired, when you're worn down, these are the moments when Satan wants to play his dirtiest tricks. Satan loves to kick a man when he's down. Even in our own hearts, we know that there is a wicked instigator. We know the threat is real. But behind the wicked institution and the wicked instigator, there lies a wicked eye. In the 1800s, Rousseau said that there were people were naturally good. There were just wicked institutions. So in the 1890s, this artist said, well, I'm going to flee these wicked institutions of Europe and I'm going to go to the primitive black sand beaches of Tahiti. He thought to find, he would find good people. What do you think he found when he landed on the black sand beaches of Tahiti? When he met the natives who lived there? Child abuse, 
sexual, sexual exploitation, rape, murder, slavery, all sorts of untold evils. Because the problem wasn't the wicked institutions. It was the people made, it was the people who made the wicked institutions. It was the wicked eye. And each of us here instinctively know this, do we not? When we sinned, we became slaves of sin, workers of iniquity. We didn't come into sin kicking and screaming. We sinned because we wanted to. We followed the passions of our flesh. We followed the wicked instigator. We became part of wicked institutions because we were against God. And if we stop long enough, we can remember, can't we? Do you remember your scheming and your dreaming? Our plots and our plans, our wickedness against God? We know it firsthand, don't we? For many of us, the sins of our youth haunt us to this day. Like Jacob, who bore his limp the rest of his life. We know how it feels. We know the threat is real. We've experienced it firsthand. If you don't believe the threat is real, it's because you're currently the threat. I just finished a book called When Evil Lived in Laurel about the White Knights in Jones County during the 80s. And it wasn't until many of the young men got out of the White Knights they realized just how evil they were. When we get on the other side, when we've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son, we realize just how dark it was. We know it firsthand. The threat is real. And the acknowledgement thereof should bring us comfort. Because as we think of all the threats in this world, we realize that God protects His people. We realize that God's defense is sure. Now how can we know that God's defense is sure? The threat is real. Is the defense sure? Well, on one hand, we know it personally, don't we? We know it personally. We've seen it. From our standpoint, we can answer with the psalmist. God broke our flashing arrows. The shield the sword, the weapons of war. For some of us, there came a moment when we laid down our arms. For some of us, it happened by degrees. But do we remember? If someone came up to you and they said, how'd you come to know about Jesus? Why are you a Christian? Could you answer that question? Was it during a sermon? Did you hear the king's proclamation of peace? Lay down your arms. Did God's ambassadors tell you those wonderful words that Jesus died for sinners? And you laid down your arms. Maybe it happened over time. Maybe you fought and you fought and you fought until your strength gave way to surrender. Maybe you fought against God till giving up was all you have. Do you remember? You see, we know God's defense is sure. We have seen it. We know it personally. 
But not only have we seen it, we have studied it. We know it personally. And we know it theologically. Do you remember Zennacherib? Wicked man over a wicked army? Long to topple God's people? Now we might look at that as a skirmish and a war. And that's what it was. It was more than taking a city. This was the true God versus idols. The righteous versus the wicked. This man came in. He mocked God and threatened God's people. And God sent out an angel that wiped out his army. God protected his people. We see it in Saul. Saul has persecuted his people in Jerusalem and now he's going to Damascus. This isn't just Saul don't like somebody. This is a war. A battle of worldviews. A war of worship. And Jesus comes down and shines a light around Paul and he says, why are you persecuting me? Because when the world attacks God's people, God takes it personally. And he humbled Saul. He protected His people. Let me just say something. Jesus overcame this world in His life. Satan in the wilderness. Sin by His death and death by His resurrection. These are the greatest threats we can imagine. Do we think that Jesus is going to give us up to lesser threats? To swords? nakedness, shame, persecution, sickness, life, death. Is anything going to separate us from the love of God? As the first Adam was called to keep watch over the garden, so the second Adam keeps watch. He protects his people. We've seen it. We've studied it. But we do one last thing. We sing it. Sometimes off-key, but we sing it. We know it personally. We know it theologically. We know it doxologically. Think of some of the hymns we sing. I'm not going to sing it. Crown Him with many crowns, the Lamb on the throne. The Lamb has conquered sin and death, and now He reigns over heaven and earth. He defends the people which he purchased with his own blood. Don't we sing that? What about rock of ages, cleft for me? Let me hide myself in thee. God hid Moses in the rock. So many times in David's life he calls God his rock, his refuge, his strong tower, his defense. So too we find God a place of safety, a sure defense, a person of protection. What about our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come? We sing these songs because they have been th- true throughout the ages. That for centuries, God has faithfully protected His people. And they have wrote these songs to celebrate it. These hymns were written to teach us. I bet if I gave a Bible quiz, many of us would not do well. Many of us here can't quote a single Bible verse. But you can sing, can't you?
You can sing about God's protection. When we sing, our voices are a reminder that God's defense is sure. That God protects His people. That's why we worship. This brings me to the most important question of our sermon. So what? I want to give you three things not to do today. Three things not to do. First, do not fear. You know, when the winds blew and the waves raged against that small fishing boat, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Do not fear, because God protects his people. When Jesus warned the disciples of persecution, he said, Hey, do not fear. God protects his people. When people were worried about what to eat and what to wear, Jesus said, do not fear. God protects his people. To reaffirm that promise, God calls us here to worship. It is part of the reason we come. This worship service is a reaffirmation of God's promise. And let's just be very honest. COVID's spiking. Everyone's nervous. Many are not coming to church because they're scared. But what we need to hear today is that God protects His people. God reaffirms His promise. That He gives Jesus to us as our only Savior. The only Savior that can offer full and perfect protection in this life and the next. As much as we are fearful, we must be reminded of our protection. When we sing, it is a reminder. When I pronounce a benediction, it isn't God going at a boy. It is God's promise to you. What we need today is not less Jesus. We need more Jesus. Do not fear, but do not forget. Many of us have been blitzed by 10 negative thoughts before we got here this morning. It's only 9.47. Lo and behold what the day holds. It's easy to forget. We're surrounded by enemies and threats of enemies, tempted to forget God's promised protection. However, this church and God's church as a whole exists to display God's manifold wisdom. It is a testimony to God's protection. Our memory is important. Our memory was made for more than holding grudges. Our memory was made to remember God's gracious protection. Thomas Brooks says this, A sanctified memory is a rich cabinet full of the choicest thoughts of God. It is that rich treasury in which a Christian is still laying up more and more precious thoughts of God. My friend, as we are surrounded in a world drowning in negativity, drowning in fear, are we reminding ourselves of God's promised protection? Are we storing up answered prayers? 
Are we reading His Word and seeing His faithfulness in the past? Are we telling one another about what God has done? More now than ever, we cannot forget that God protects His people. Lastly, do not fear, do not forget, and do not forsake. We tend to partner safety with complacency. But our psalm tells us to keep our vows to the Lord, to bring gifts to the Lord. What does he mean, bring gifts? Does he mean the pastor has to shake you down for 10%? No. What does God require of us? Paul says that we offer our lives as spiritual sacrifices. God calls for all of us. We owe Him obedience as our Creator. You know how many times growing up your dad tells you to do something and you say, why? And he says, because I said so. He's your daddy. He he made you. I can't say he birthed you. That's mama's job. He made you. He is part. You owe Him obedience because He's your... Forget you. We owe God obedience because He made us. But we're motivated by gratitude because He redeemed us. Because He's our Father. We owe Him our lives. Do not forsake Him. In our time of fear, don't run to other saviors. In times of complacency, don't get drowned by pleasure. We owe God our lives. God is our Father. He planted us on His holy hill. He waters us by His word. He strengthened us by His spirit so that we may bear fruit. Herman Witsius says, This deliverance from sin is ours. We are to dread the wrath of God, be in love with the holiness of God, and make returns to the love of God. This is how we use the protection God offers. In closing, Harry Reader once said that the enemy has three methods of attack. Infiltration, imitation, and intimidation. And right now, the depths of hell are rattling their sabers. They're firing warning shots over the head of God's people. The world is trying to instill fear in us. But we are seated in heavenly places. The wicked world can no more harm us than a stray dog can howl at the moon. He can do no harm to the moon and the moon and the world can do no harm to God's people. Today is not the day we fear wickedness. Today is not the day we forget God's faithful defense. Today is not the day we forsake our post. Today is the day we stand tall because God protects His People, let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is so hard to live by faith and not by sight. It's easy to trust things we can see, touch, hold. And yet you have given us a defense that is so sure. Through our lives, our silly things we did as a youth, our sinful proclivities, through all the dangers and tolls and snares of this world, you have been faithful. 
Help us, Heavenly Father, from the very depths of our being to cling to you above all else. For you are our God and our Savior. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.